going to, I'm going to walk you through a stillwater middag. So there's an overview of what I'll be covering, and look, it won't be that long, so don't worry about that. I'll talk briefly about the aim of contemplative practices, what a life of contemplation um, entails. I'll share with you briefly my own journey with contemplative practices, and then I'll share with you how one gets into the right frame of mind and the um, mindfulness and relaxation exercises that we do and why we do that. I think that's very important. Then we're going, I'm going to give you a taste of scripture meditation and also the down regulation. And then um, I'll share with you some of the other practices that we do in the second hour of our stillwort middag, which is journaling, spending time in nature, well, in the garden actually. Um, we also have a PowerPoint in the church, and I'll say something about that. I'm going to talk about a mandala, coloring in a mandala, what a walk meditation is, and then the meaning of symbols, and I'll just share with you how symbols became very important in my own life. So the aim of contemplative practices is to really rest in God to really quiet our minds so that we can listen to God. We don't listen very well when we are stressed. We actually cannot listen then because our survival response, um, response is activated, and I'll say something more about that. So Henry Nowen um, talks about contemplative practices as doing the discipline to create space to notice God. Now, I know many people don't like the word discipline, but if we want to get fit, you have to have the discipline of going, doing exercises. And if we want to really grow in our relationship with God, we need the discipline of spiritual practices. So it gives, it creates a space where one can actually listen to God and listen to yourself because we are so busy that we don't listen to ourselves. And it's responding to Matthew 11 verse 28. And I'm going to read that because I'm a little bit upregulated so I might not remember the words in Matthew 11 verse 28. It's Christ's invitation where he says, come to me all of you who are tired from carrying heavy loads, and I will give you rest. And then obviously it's also following Christ's example. Christ often retreated from the busyness of his ministry to find time to be alone with God, to listen to his Father. Now, contemplative practices aid us in living a life of contemplation. And Trevor Hudson really describes it very well. He says, it's learning to live transparently, simply, and lovingly before God and those around us. It pays attention to what is most real within and around us. It turns our gaze away from ourselves towards our Creator whose glory radiate through all things. It surrenders to the divine love streaming towards us in Christ. It looks at others 
with more generous, compassionate, and non-judgmental eyes. And Richard Raw adds to that by saying that we will find ways to give that divine love back through forms of service and worship. It's never earning the love, it's always returning the love. So I'm going to share with you very briefly how my journey with contemplative practices started. More than 30 years ago, I read a book by Dr. Willem Nickel. He's a minister in the Dutch Reformed Church, and it was about centering prayer. And the title of the book in Afrikaans was Gebed van die Hart, Prayer of the Heart. And that whetted my appetite. And then the wonderful thing about being a psychologist is that we also learn from our clients. So years ago, I had a Catholic um, in my practice, and she shared with me her experiences um, on a retreat, and I immediately realized this is what I need and what I want. So I started going on retreats on a regular basis, and that is how I landed on the email address list of Willem Nickel. And I received information about a course in spiritual direction. Now, people might not know what spiritual direction is. Um, a spiritual director help you, helps you to see how is God working in your life? What is moving you closer to God and what's taking you away from God? My own spiritual director says he's my soul's friend. So... Um, At that time, that was 11 years ago, the course was presented by Dr. Willem Nickel, the Dutch Reformed Minister, and Sister Mary Fisher. Now, she's a nun from the Catholic uh, Church, and she did missionary work for years in Africa, a very interesting and wonderful woman. And uh, so the course was presented over two years, and we had weekly blocks, and it was so meaningful to me it really, yeah, it enriched my relationship with God immensely. And I just wanted to share that with other people. So a few years ago, I think it's must, it must, have been, must be about six years now, Yuri and I had a conversation over tea, and we decided we'll start. So we started with three people. Yes, so <clears throat> that, so I'm going to walk you through a stillwater middag what we do. So we usually start by lighting a candle. And we do that as a symbol of God's presence. We know God is with us every moment of the day and night. We know he's in us, he's around us. But this is just a symbol to say we acknowledge his presence. We acknowledge the fact that he's the light of the universe and that we have to reflect that light. And I often start with reading a prayer. Now, the reason why I read a prayer is that it gives one a sense of community with Christians from all over the world spanning many centuries. And I'm going to read a prayer for you now. Um, I found this prayer in that wonderful book that Wayne that you gave me, Being with God, from Schiller. Um, He talks about contemplative practices, the absurdity, complexity, and 
Now I've forgotten the subtitle. Necessity, I think, no, neuro neurology of contemplative practices. Now, this, poem, this uh, prayer is a very short prayer, so I'm going to read it twice. It was written by Sister Ruth, a Carmelite nun. Oh God, let me climb through the barriers of sound and pass into your silence. And there, in stillness and silence, let me adore you, who are life, light, love, without beginning or end. O oh God, let me climb through the barriers of sound and pass into your silence. And there, in silence, and in stillness and silence, let me adore you, who are life, light, love, without beginning or end. So the stillboard middag, um, we usually start, well, quarter past two, people start coming and we start at uh, 2.30. And in the first hour, we do only two activities. We spend about 20 to 30 minutes on relaxation exercises. Oh, sorry, no, we first do this. Let me quickly say, this is a picture from the a Good News Bible. And people are then invited to write down what they have to put down in order to be really present. So things that you're thinking, that are mulling around in your mind, feelings that you have, um, <clears throat> specific things that you still need to do um, uh, after the stillwort middag. And this is actually a very important practice for us to do. We should do this more often. When we enter the church, to be really present to our sense of community with God and one another, we need to think about what do we need to put aside so that we can really be present. And as I was preparing for this, I just realized I do this with my clients when I see them. I put them in a little bracket until the evening and then I take them out of the bracket and make my notes and think about them so that I can be present with a specific client. But I realize that I don't do this when I talk to my husband or when I listen to my husband. I also need to think about what do I need to put aside when I listen and talk to my husband. In psychology, <clears throat> there's the same saying, naming a feeling is taming a feeling. So it's very, it's, uh, it sounds so easy to say, just give it to the Lord. You have to know what are you giving to the Lord so that you can really know, okay, well, my brain can relax now. I've written it down. I can be as present as possible. And then we start with... Um, relaxation and mindfulness exercises. Now, <clears throat> Wayne mentioned this, um, and you are all familiar with how hectic and chaotic our lives have become. We live at a very fast pace. This Schiller from that book talks about a violent pace. He also mentions that in the last 50 years, we had to adapt to more changes than the previous 5,000 years. Now we know 
that any change, positive or, or negative, impacts um, on, on one's stress levels. There's the Holmes Ross scale, which measures, measures um, stress according to different stressful events that one has to adapt to. And years ago, South Africans scored twice as high as Americans on this scale. Now, I just read an article this week about someone talking about, I mean, we're in January 2023, and this person says, South Africans are suffering from a, um, a collective depression. And I think we all know that um, everything is affecting us. So it's extremely uh, important to downregulate our nervous system. So what happens is our survival response is activated, which means that our fight-flight response, we are ready for action. And even though it doesn't feel the same, whether one is angry, irritated, frustrated, whether you are worried, anxious, stressed, your survival response is activated. And we all need our survival response. But unfortunately, at the moment, our survival response is almost always activated. And it has a negative um, impact on our immune system. And we know that stress and also anger, people, that's why I say people don't realize anger or irritation is also your um, survival response which is activated. It plays a role in every illness. Obviously not the only role, but it's important to realize what's the impact, what is the price that we are paying for this very busy um, survival response. And then obviously what is so important is what I've, shared, what I've said just now, we can't listen when our, our survival response is activated. And this what is what is, uh, contemplative practices are about, what the Stillwort Middag is about, is to really be as calm as possible so that we can be open to what is God saying to me? What does God want for me? What am I really listening to him? You know, there's that saying that the Lord shouts at you in pain and usually he whispers. Um, God is very gentle. So we really need to be silent, to sit in silence, to be quiet, to quiet and calm our brains so that we can be open to God. Um, <clears throat> this... Um, the, we know the interconnectedness of body and mind. So the fact that our um, survival response is activated and it, it um, affects our immune system is because of the mind-body connection. And a whole new field of study actually developed in psychology because of that, called the psychoneuroimmunology. So we also so we use different relaxation exercises to uh, downregulate. Um, our nervous system, we all have a threshold, a ceiling of how much stress you can endure before it becomes burnout, depression, and anxiety disorder, panic attacks. So we need to downregulate that so that we are um, more open and calm, calm our brains to, to, be open, to, be, um, to be open to what God is saying to us. 
<clears throat> we also do some mindfulness exercises. Now, mindfulness is also a buzzword, at, well, for the last couple of years. But if we can stay in the here and now, it helps us to calm down. And that is actually how, what God wants us to do. He says in Matthew 6, um, <clears throat> and it's a very well-known verse, Do not worry about tomorrow. It will have enough worries of its own. And Christ also, uh, uh, um, God also, um, when he talked to Moses, said, Call me, I am. God is in the here and now. And if we can really just come back to God is here now, it helps us to calm down. So I'll give you a little taste of that just a little bit later. Then we, in the second half of the first hour, we do scripture meditation, also called Lectio Divina. Now, meditation is often associated with um, the Eastern religions. But it's actually quite interesting. The word meditation was used in Christianity for the first time in the second century by the Desert Fathers and Mothers. So meditation is actually was initially a practice in Christianity. Now, meditation is uh, well-researched. It's used for relaxation um, purposes, and we know that it helps to down-regulate the nervous system. Um, we also know meditation helps one to manage pain better. It helps one to uh, relax. It, it helps one... Um, to really calm your brain, and they can see that in SPECT scans. I will say something more about that in a moment. And it also aids one, if one does it regularly, it helps you to concentrate and focus better. Now, Dr. Daniel Goleman, he's the guy who wrote the book on the five love languages. He and his colleague, Richard Davidson, did a very interesting um, study with um, meditation. So what they did was they had three groups and they did SPECT scans of their brain. So they had a group of students and they had to do, um, and they worked with the Dalai, Dalai Lama with Tibetan nuns, uh, monks. So they had to do three things. They had to meditate every day, they had to practice gratitude, and they had to do good deeds. And after 200 hours, that's a lot, of meditation, gratitude practices, and doing good deeds, the SPEC scans show permanent structural and chemical changes in the brain, which shows that the brain is more calm. So one can actually change your brain. There's also a book by a, a Christian psychiatrist, Dr. Amen, in, he's a psychiatrist in um, New York. I was quite interested in the fact that his surname is Amen, and he's a Christian in New York, a psychiatrist. He wrote the book, Save Your Brain, Save Your Life. And, and no, change your brain, change your life. So it, one can change one's brain. So I'm now going to um, give you a little taste of down-regulation, and then we are going to do just a very short scripture meditation. Um, the one um, mindfulness exercise 
is called the hourglass sand glass um, exercise. Now a sand glass is wide at the top, then it's narrow and then wide at the bottom. So I want you to close your eyes and think about, notice what are your thoughts? What are you thinking right now? And what are you feeling? So I'm just going to give you a few moments. Don't be hard on yourself. Don't say, I don't need, I mustn't think this in church or whatever. Just notice it without judgment. Almost as if you are watching fish in a fish tank. Now we go to the narrow part of the sand glass. Keep your eyes closed, put your hands on your chest, and just focus on your breathing. Just feel your chest, the rising and falling with each exhale and inhale. Just becoming aware of one's breathing downregulates your body immediately. The third part of the exercise is doing a body scan. So start with your head, focus on different parts of your body, your eyes, your ears, your jaw, your neck and shoulders, your back, your chest, your lower body, arms, hands, legs, feet. And just notice what is your body saying to you. Our body talks to us all the time and we don't listen. Again, without judgment. If you have lower back pain, just notice it. Don't be irritated about the fact that your back is sore or whatever. Okay, now we at the bottom part of the sour, uh, um, sand glass. Now we focus on the here and now. So just look around and use your senses. See what can you see? The colors, textures, shapes. Focus on what you can hear. Sounds in the hall, sounds outside. Focus on the sensations, the temperature in the room, your clothes on your body, where your body touches the chair, the floor. Focus for a moment on your taste, on your uh, sense of smell. What can you smell? And then on your sense of taste. Perhaps you had a last cup of coffee before coming here, or you brushed your teeth and you can still taste the toothpaste. And then we focus on God. The Lord is here in you, around you, in each one sitting here, in this church hall, 
in Johannesburg, in South Africa, in the world, in the universe. I am. God is here with you now. Okay, thank you. The second exercise is a breathing exercise. So it, we are going to breathe in with the words, Lord Jesus Christ, and we're going to exhale with, have mercy on me. And we are going to do five repetitions. So I'm going to help you. So you just inhale, Lord Jesus Christ, have mercy on me. 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 Thank you. Now we are going to do scripture meditation. So meditation is often about emptying your mind, which is actually impossible. Scripture meditation is putting God, his word, in the middle of what you are thinking about. This is one of my favorite verses. It's Philippians 4, verse 5 to 6. Only two verses. It's from the Good News Bible. And I'm going to read it twice. And I want to invite you to choose a word, a phrase, or a sentence on which you are going to ponder. Um, and your mind will wander. That's what minds do. Don't be judgmental. Don't be hard on yourself. Just bring it slowly. Notice, okay, my mind is there that I switched the oven off or something like that. Just bring it back to the word that you are mulling around so that it can really um, start from your mind and rest in your heart so that you can really digest it and take it. So I'm going to read it twice and then I'm going to use the singing bowl for you to start pondering on the word or the phrase and then I'll also use the singing bowl to when we carry on with the rest. Let everyone know your life is being lived in another structure of being. One in which the Lord is constantly a vital presence. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything coming together for good, will come and settle you down. Let everyone know your life is being lived in another structure of being, one in which the Lord is constantly a vital presence. Don't fret or worry. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises shape your worries into prayers, letting God know your concerns. Before you know it, a sense of God's wholeness, everything 
coming together for good will come and settle you down. The second hour, there um, are a few activities that one can choose from, that one can choose what to do. So the one activity that I feel very passionate about is journaling. Now, journaling is actually, there's also a lot of interesting research that has been done with journaling. So what happens in the brain is that your limbic system is a structure in the brain and when you have any feeling, neurotransmitters are secreted, and again, it goes to every cell in the body. It's called the fast track. The moment that you start writing, something else happens. It goes from the lim limbic system to your temporal lobes, where your language center is, and from there, it goes to your prefrontal cortex, which is your analytical brain. So the neurotransmitters actually take a different pathway, neuro pathway in your brain called the slow track. And as I've said earlier, naming a feeling is taming a feeling. So journaling is really um, a very helpful exercise. We know from research that if you go through any trauma, whether you're going through a divorce or losing someone, where was that? Yes, I mean, yeah, in Fishuk, my son, my one son lives there, so I was thinking of you. Um, if you go through any traumatic um, thing in your life, if you write about it, you will feel better. You will work through the grief process more successfully and quicker. Um, so it is really very, very helpful. And research shows that longhand writing is the most beneficial, then printing, and then typing on a computer. Now there are many, there's no right or wrong way to journal. Um, Julia Cameron talks about morning pages. Some of you might have read about it. She suggests that the first thing in the morning, you don't even get out of bed. You write three folios of just 
uncensored what you are thinking, what you are feeling. And why she thinks it's so important, it's, you're not so awake yet. So you're almost in that twilight zone where before, between sleeping and being awake, so you have more, better access to your unconscious. So that's how, what she uh, suggests. And then some authors say, leave a margin. So you write, again, just what comes in your mind. If you don't know what to write, you say, this is a simple exercise, I don't know what to write. And you keep on writing and you will just see things will, I'm often amazed, I'm often amazed I think, okay, I'll write two sentences. And when I see, I've written three or four pages. So you can then read through what you've written and you just put keywords in the margin. Or you can write and then use a highlight and you highlight all the sad feelings with blue and all the angry things with red or whatever. I mean, this, as I say, there's no right or wrong way. Now, I usually give people um, something to think about and then to journal around that. What I have found very helpful myself is, and I've been doing this now for years, I write and at the end of every month I write, I read through everything that I've written and I write a reflection on that. And then at the end of the year it takes me two days to read through everything and then I write a reflection on the year. And I can't tell you how much I've learned over the years about myself, about what is happening. What do I need to do and what do I don't need to do if I want to feel better? And I want to use two examples. Last year, we had a crisis in our family and there was nothing that I could do about it. I was completely out of control and I was worrying and worrying and worrying. And then I sat down and I wrote about what exactly are all the aspects of this problem that I'm worried about? And I was so amazed, it was more than I expected. 14 specific things that are affected um, by what happened. And then I was so surprised, and I shouldn't be surprised, I felt better. <laughs> um, there were more things to worry about, but I felt better after writing it down. But another example, a few years ago, I've been in a study group um, for more than 30 years. And we meet every four or every six weeks. And one day this one colleague of mine was saying something and I thought to myself, I had a very judgmental thought, she's getting very materialistic. Four or six week, weeks later, when we met again, she said, she felt very criticized and judged the previous time, as if we are thinking she's getting very materialistic. Now, if I didn't write that down in my journal, there was no way that I would have remembered that. So journaling also helps one to remember things, to, and I mean, there are so many, I'm quite sure many of you have a gratitude journal. And the interesting thing, I didn't mention that just now when I talked about the um, research that Dr. Richardson and Goldman did was, if you are grateful, you force your brain to feel a positive feeling. And we can see that with the activity in the brain in, in speed scans. So 
Having a gratitude journal is really, I'm a very skeptical person. I don't just believe something if I hear, okay, this is what research says. I've done it myself. I promise you I had a beautiful little book with a ribbon and a pen tied to my um, uh, lamp on my uh, table next to my bed so that I don't have any excuse not to write down what I'm grateful for. That was years ago. I stopped, but I think it was more than a thousand things because the thing you need to try to remember different things that you are grateful for. And I could see how the more grateful I am, the more grateful I become. Now, for the last three, I'm in my third year now, my daughter gave me a journal. So I have two journals, actually. Three journals, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> three, now that I think of it. But my one journal is one that I use at night, and it, it's a five-year journal, so it, ha it only has a little, little space. So I use that as my gratitude journal. And I was so surprised. A, a few days ago, I saw that last year this time, I was praying for my son in Fishuk's eye. He had a virus in his eyes and he could lose his eye. And actually a colleague of, of him did actually lose his eye. And he was just in time to get the right medication and he has his eyesight. And because I could look back and see that this is what I said, what I was praying for, for last year, I was just grateful again and realize that, you know, our prayers are answered and we don't remember it. So it's really a very, very uh, helpful exercise. Um, Henry Nowen says, a life not reflected upon is not worth living. And Trevor Hudson says, we don't learn from experience. We learn from reflecting on that experience. Okay, so that's the, as I say, I can go on for hours on journaling. So the next um, activity is to spend time in the garden, and obviously it's even better if one could spend time in nature. We know from research that spending time in nature reduces fear and stress, it lowers the blood pressure, it lowers one's heart rate, it lo lowers muscle uh, tension, it makes one happier, and it, it has a positive effect on one's health. Uh, research has shown that people living in a five kilometer radius of forest is mentally and physically more healthy than other people. And it's really something, even having a pot plant on your desk makes you happier. Looking at uh, pictures of nature also um, has that effect because one's brain doesn't um, distinguish whether one is really there or whether you are seeing it and you can just imagine yourself being there. And then the other wonderful thing, we know many of us feel very close to God in nature. And if one thinks about God as creator, I am just so really in awe and wonder of what God does. The detail. Did you know a little snowbell has dots on every single um, flower petal. The detail and the greatness of nature is just so, I mean, we can never ever stop just being in wonder and in awe. But the, 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 the psychological uh, impact of that is that 
that in your brain, again, when you're in awe and wonder, the areas of planning and impulse control relax, the areas of curiosity and creativity is stimulated, these people spending more time in nature have a greater life uh, satisfaction, are happier, it increases humility. And I mean, one can just understand that. When you see what God does and how creative and intelligent God is, obviously it, it helps us to feel more humble. And then what was also interesting for me is that people are then more caring and generous. We also have then in the church um, a PowerPoint with beautiful pictures of nature and inspiring words. So that's also something that one can do as an activity on a, a stalwart middag. And then people are also invited to color in a mandala. Now the word mandala means center. And people often always think mandalas is something from the Asian religions. But it has been used widely in Christianity with uh, the, the windows of churches and cathedrals are actually mandalas. And a mandala is round, there's no beginning and end, and it is also for us a symbol of God's infinity, his unending love for us. There's no beginning or end, he's the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. And the symmetry of a mandala and the repetitive movie, movement of the hand when you color in also down-regulates the nervous system and make you calm. Actually, any activity with a hand, knitting, uh, doing embroidery work, um, doing um, woodwork, all of those things where you do repetitive, I, I guess, scrubbing a floor, also repetitive work, that will calm you down. So people are then um, uh, invited to do that, and one can use it in different ways. One can actually think about that the word or the sentence or the phrase and keep on pondering on that while you do this. Or you can use it to pray. Um, some also say, choose with your non-dominant hand the colors, which actually also gives you more access to the unconscious and afterwards look at this and say, but what is God saying to me through the mandala? And then one can also use it as a symbol for what transpired for you. Um, and then um, a walk meditation. Now a walk meditation is really walking very slowly and again repeating a, a sentence or a phrase. For instance, a sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle me down. And you keep on repeating this while you walk. And it's really, it's, it's try it out. Be, don't believe me, try it out and see how that, the difference that it makes. And then symbols is also something that became very important to me. Yo, okay, I'm going to share this with you. This year, it will be 20 years ago that we had an enormous trauma in our life. Our youngest daughter suffered from depression. She had a, we have a family history of depression and she had several things that happened to her. It triggered a depression which was very severe. 
she saw a psychiatrist, she was on medication, on different medications actually because the one didn't work and then the other one, she was seeing a psychologist and we knew she was a suicide risk. So she was on suicide watch for six weeks and then she was also not attending school for five weeks and then she started catching up on her schoolwork. And I said to my husband, she's getting better. And the first time that we left her alone for 45 minutes, she committed suicide. And I can't tell you how angry I was. I couldn't sleep that night. I was pacing up and down in our garden. I was so angry with her because she promised me she wouldn't take her life. I was so angry with myself because I have all the theory. I know that often when someone is very depressed and they make the decision to end their lives, the depression lifts because there's now for them a way out of the misery. And I didn't understand her depression lifting as she's made um, the decision to take her life. I thought she was really getting better. And I was livid with anger towards God. When she was so despondent and depressed, I gave her 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13, where God says, I won't tempt you above what you can endure. It, was, it has always been my favorite verse in the Bible, and I then um, discovered it's also her favorite verse in the Bible. And she said to me, Mommy, but God is tempting me above what I can endure. And I said, no, you will get better. So I was so angry with God. I couldn't understand. I mean, why did this happen? Why did it happen to her? Why to us? We all prayed for her. She prayed for herself. And in my career, I think I've helped more than 200 people to walk past that decision of taking your life. And now my own daughter did it. So I was really so angry. And I, I just had this huge need to see the sun rise. Now from where we lived, one can see beautiful sunsets, but not the sun rising. So I decided, and I did actually some a very um, dangerous thing. I decided I'm going to walk to a school and I will sit on the pavilion where I can see the sunrise. Now I had, it was night, I had no sense of time and I was struggling with God. Why, why, why? And then suddenly, I don't understand, and then suddenly I realized, what's the flip side of the coin? What do I understand? And there are three things that I understand. I have things right. And I later on um, read the book by Philip Yancey where he talks about why things happen is God's terrain. What we do with what has happened, that's our job. In any case, I was walking up on Gordon, a Gordon Road just across the bridge over the highway. And now I was so afraid that the sun will rise and I don't see it. So I kept on looking over my shoulder. And then the next moment I saw the morning star. It was huge like this. And it was so bright. And then I remembered on the last page of the Bible, in Revelations, Christ is the bright morning star. 
and I later learned that Venus is apparently the morning star and the evening star at different times of the year. So the morning star and the evening star reminds me that God is in our pain. So over the years, I've become very fond of using symbols as something to remind me of something that God has said to me. So I want to invite you to a stalwart middag. You are more than welcome to join. There's only one condition, and that is that you have to let the uh, honey at the Kerkantour know so that we can provide enough uh, snacks and handouts because that's one thing that abrugulates my nervous system. If I see we haven't <laughs> prepared for enough people and there are suddenly more people. So thank you, Wayne.